So what? Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. So what? Why does it matter? What does that have to do with me and what does that have to do with you 2,000 years later? So what? They say so that we can get to heaven. So? Whenever I was a young child in my toddler, very young elementary years, I was known as to be a very happy kid. I was uh, just confident, happy. I had a great life. I have a wonderful family. Um, I have two great, excellent parents and, and an extended family that's very big and joyful and, and great. But then something happened when I was eight years old. My parents went through a hard time, decided to get a divorce. And as an only child, eight years old, I, I, was, I was certainly hit pretty hard by that experience. And now I don't blame my parents for this. I, I, I love both of my parents, and, and I'm so lucky to have both of them in my life. But as life would have it, they're no longer together. And as an eight-year-old only child, what I learned, I didn't know it in the moment, but I've, I've found out as I've grown up, is that I became different. I changed. I became a lot more less confident. I was a lot more nervous. I was less talkative. I was not as happy, and, and I was just very self-conscious. I had a hard time fitting in. It was a very challenging time to go through that experience. As I grew older into my adolescent and teenage years, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I, um, I, praise God, uh, he gave me a lot of uh, talents, and, and I, I did very well in school. I also did very well on the soccer field, and, and I really put my confidence in my success. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure that I got straight A's, and to make sure that we always did excellent on the soccer field, that we never lost or anything. And I also put a lot of pressure on myself to be very well-behaved, um, to be very well-liked by others. I was very much a people-pleaser. I would apologize a lot if ever I sensed that I wasn't pleasing somebody. And, and I kind of just grew into this habit of what we call perfectionism. In fact, maybe some of you might have had that type of experience in your life where you just put the weight of the world on your shoulders and you have to be perfect. And any time that something doesn't happen as planned, maybe you don't get an A-plus on a test, maybe you don't win the soccer game, maybe you do get in trouble because you misbehave, maybe you got a detention in school, or, or maybe something else, maybe you're in an argument with your friend, and, and suddenly it feels like the world has fallen apart. Because you have put all your marbles into controlling your little world, and then suddenly, whenever something goes not as planned, we fall apart. That's how I was. And I couldn't break this perfectionism. Things were wonderful when I was succeeding. And I succeeded a lot, so I was generally happy in those moments. But whenever I wasn't succeeding, or whenever I was about to uh, perform in a certain way, I would get extremely nervous and stressed out. And this pressure became so much. Well, praise be Jesus Christ. 
that I have been set free of this pressure. I have discovered something so freeing that these little untrivial, these, these unnecessary trivial burdens that I place upon myself, I now recognize are unnecessary. I recognize that I have a newfound freedom and identity, not in my successes, but in Jesus Christ. And the power of that freedom has radically changed my life. And it was certainly a process to get to this point, a, a number of years in my college experience and, and even in my, my seminary formation to, to get me to this point where if there is something that goes wrong, if there's an imperfection in my life, I don't fall apart. Thank the Lord, because I can't imagine how stressed out I would be as a new pastor otherwise. But you see, we do this. We tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Whether or not you identify as a perfectionist, we all know what it's like to put the weight of the world on our shoulders. Some of us may do it more than others, but we know that burden, that pressure, that stress, that anxiety, and, and, and it's just so heavy to bear. Sooner or later, we come to a point where we realize that we simply can't do it all. We simply can't. We try to control everything, and whenever we cannot control things that we simply can't control, we start to recognize that we are not enough. We're not. Whenever we sin, whenever we have these moments of weaknesses, we realize, man, I'm simply not as good as I should be. Maybe we're, we're impatient and, we're, and we, we, sometimes we try to justify it away. I'm not that impatient, but, but guess what? You're impatient and you're not perfect. Maybe you're rude. People say, gosh, why are you so rude? And you're like, I'm not rude. You know what? You're rude. But guess what? We are not perfect. But that's the good news of the gospel. You see, because if we were enough, we would not need a savior. If we were enough, then we would have to take the weight of the world on our shoulders. And we should stress out and freak out when things don't go according to plan, if that were the case. But guess what? We're not enough. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is enough. And he came to save us from the burdens and the slavery that we experience even on this side of heaven. You see, this is not new. This experience, this, this struggle, this tension that we feel, it, it all started in the Garden of Eden. We know this. Uh, we've heard this story before. Adam and Eve in the garden. Things are perfect. Kind of like my childhood. I was happy. Things are great. Things are going well. We have everything that we need. And they're in the garden and God gave them all that they needed in the garden. And then what happens is that the enemy shows up, Satan himself, and he tells them that your happiness is not enough. He says, your happiness could be better. I got something better for you. And he persuades them because he's so persuasive, he's so convincing. Don't we all know that? Because maybe he's told that to us before. You seem to be happy, but I got something better for you. And Satan tempts them, and they, of course, eat the forbidden fruit, and then we know what happens next that it says right there in the book of Genesis that they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. 
And this experience of shame creeps into their lives for the first time in human history. And the crazy thing is that all of a sudden, now that they know what shame feels like, they begin to operate out of shame. And when we operate out of shame, what we do is that we try to grasp for a better identity. Because shame tells us that we are bad. Shame tells us that we are bad, and so we try to prove ourselves. We try to prove ourselves by taking the world on our shoulder and succeeding at everything. To be the most successful businessman, to be the most successful athlete, to be the most successful people person. To whatever it is that we put our marbles in the basket, we usually choose one or two things, and we put it all in because we feel bad, and we need to prove to ourselves and others that we are worth it. Because we experience this effect that we are not enough. But you see, Jesus didn't give up on Adam and Eve. Although he banished them from the garden, he did so as a way to call them back to conversion. And he kept calling back his people to conversion throughout the whole Old Testament. He speaks to Abraham and makes a promise. He speaks to, to the prophets. He, he speaks to Moses, who the people of Israel... The Hebrews, having been in slavery for hundreds of years, generation after generation, imagine what it would be like if you, your parents, your grandparents, great-grandparents, and all of your dis uh, 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 ancestors, imagine what it would be like if all that you knew was slavery, if that's it, nothing else. Imagine how debilitating that must be, how demoralizing that must be. Imagine how much self-worth they must have had. Not much. But God saves the Israelites from their enemies. On the night of Passover, he, he rescues the Hebrews from the hands, the grips of Pharaoh. And he sends them on a journey to the promised land. But here's the key here. This is important. Although God rescued them from physical slavery, the Israelites were still enslaved by their shame. They were still enslaved on the inside. And that's why we see them grumbling and complaining and arguing and doubting their faith and regretting even leaving the physical slavery in Egypt in the first place. And they grumble and argue for 40 years until they get to the promised land. Why? Because they're still bound. They're still enslaved by their shame-based identity. There's still anxiety. There's still fear. There's still this feeling of not being enough. And God is very patient with his people. And he keeps calling them back to conversion. He wants to set them free, but sooner or later they keep realizing that they cannot save themselves. No matter how much they try to reach towards God, they simply cannot do it. And then thousands of years later, God rescues his people by becoming man, becoming one of us, exposing himself to the sin and to the suffering of this world and even to the shame that we all experience. He exposes himself and dies on the cross. 
And he dies on this cross in utter humility and shame so that he can redeem it. So that three days later on this Easter morning, he can rise from the dead and officially declare that shame does not have power over you or over me. That shame is no longer a part of our vocabulary. That shame is not part of me anymore. That I am not a slave to my shame-based identity. That I am set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is, is yes, that Jesus died for our sins and that we can now enter the gates of heaven one day. But even more than that, before we actually die and hopefully go to heaven, even more than that, right now today, on this Easter Sunday morning, you and I can be set free. We can be set free from all of that inner turmoil that we wrestle with on a daily basis. We can walk as the freedom of sons and daughters of God. We can have that inner peace that is unshakable. We can have that inner joy that's profound and deeper than human grief and human sorrow. We have the grace of Jesus Christ within us. And by that we are healed, we are set free, and we are changed forever. You see, even today, even though I've gone through this process of healing, to be set free from my old ways of trying to prove myself, even today when I'm not at my best, that temptation can easily creep in. If I'm not praying very well, if I'm not committed to the Lord, if I'm not drawing from the grace of the Eucharist and the sacrament of confession and all of the grace that God has available for me, when I'm not at my best, it's just a matter of time before I start to creep into my old habits of perfectionism. It's just a matter of time that I start to put the pressure and the burden on myself to be perfect. The pressure and the burden to, to do everything well and to be everything for everyone, to be that people pleaser. And how awful of an existence that is. What a terrible way to live my life. Because that is a life of slavery. It's a life of anxiety. It's a life of constant stress, constant impatience and temper tantrums. It's a life that is not happy at all. But when I'm at my best, when I know and claim that Jesus is my Lord, that Jesus is at the center of my life, that I am God's son, and that I am set free by the blood of Jesus, when I'm at my best, none of that can shake me. None of these imperfections, none of the, the, the annoyances of typical daily life, none of the pressure that comes with being a pastor or, or as a priest, none of that can shake me because I know who I am. I know that I am a son of God. I want you to consider this morning what exactly are you ashamed of? Because you see, maybe, maybe you didn't realize that you are operating at a shame-based identity. Maybe you haven't acknowledged that you are ashamed of something. And maybe you aren't because you truly have found freedom. And if that's the case, praise God. 
But if you find in your heart an uneasiness, a lack of peace, if you find in your heart some type of distress or anxiety, perhaps, maybe, just maybe, there's some type of shame deeper within that we need to recognize. Maybe you're ashamed and embarrassed of, of your financial debt. And you just don't want anybody to know about it. Or maybe you're ashamed of a secret from your past that you've told nobody, not anybody knows. Or maybe only one or two people know, but nobody else. Maybe you're ashamed of a lie that you told to your spouse. Or maybe you're ashamed of, of your appearance. You just wish that you could lose more weight. Or maybe you're ashamed of maybe just some personality quirks that you feel like you just inherited from your parents and you hate it. Maybe you're ashamed of divorce or some type of broken relationship. Whatever you're ashamed of, God does not want you to be enslaved forever. God does not speak the language of slavery. God does not speak the language of shame. And he does not want you to be in turmoil for the rest of your life. God has freedom planned for you, and he wants you to live out of that freedom. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That is the good news of the gospel. Yes, we desire heaven, and we're going there one day. But even before then, we are slaves no more. But it's a daily decision. It's very easy for us to slip back into slavery. For some reason, we tend to just like that way of life. But every single time we notice that we're falling back into that slavery, we choose freedom in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of his blood, through the grace of this Eucharist. This is where our freedom comes from. And so my invitation for all of us this morning, this Easter Sunday, is to bring this shame to this altar. Whatever it is, whatever's holding you back from true freedom in Christ. Maybe you don't even know what it is, but you just feel the effects. You can just be honest and bring that, that darkness to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't even know what's keeping me back, but I know something is. We're going to bring that to the altar. The reason that we, we spend all this extra time after the homily right here at the altar is because we literally experience the mystery of Easter. We experience Jesus' death and resurrection as if it were the first time ever. But it doesn't end with the death. God wants freedom. God wants new life, and he's doing something inside of you today. It's never too late for a new beginning, and it's never too late to be set free by the power of Jesus Christ.